So do you know what gastroesophageal reflux disease or GERD is? Well, maybe you should because if it goes untreated, it can cause some serious health problems. So what are the signs and symptoms and how is it treated? Well, let's find out with Dr. Ashish Shaw, a physician and gastroenterologist at WakeMed Health and Hospitals. This is WakeMed Voices, a podcast from WakeMed Health and Hospitals. I'm Bill Klaproth. Dr. Shaw, thank you so much for your time. It's great to talk with you. So first off, explain to us exactly what is GERD. Hi, Bill. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to speak about this very, very important disease. And it's something that I see a lot of in my gastroenterology practice. And just to tell you how common it is, well over 20% of Americans have GERD. And probably that's an underestimation because patients don't necessarily seek medical attention for it. But essentially, GERD refers to the escape of stomach contents, stomach food and stomach acid northward into the food pipe, which we refer to as the esophagus. We know that everybody has normal GERD, otherwise known as physiologic GERD. So everyone has this after they eat and while they sleep. And it's not troublesome. Often we don't even know it or we feel it. But GERD becomes a problem, a disease, a disorder when that occurrence or that escape of stomach acid occurs repetitively and when there's prolonged contact of that stomach acid against the very brittle lining of the food pipe or the esophagus. And it's that which causes disorders, troublesome symptoms, and complications down the road. Mm, That's really interesting. So to a degree then, this is normal in most of us? Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of things that happen in our body that are physiologic or that are normal things just to kind of get the body through the day and normal functioning. At the very bottom of the esophagus is an important muscle called a lower esophageal sphincter. And that muscle, you might have friends or family refer to it as my flapper or the flapper valve, but it's actually called the lower esophageal sphincter. And that muscle is tonically closed. And when it's closed, it allows the stomach contents to stay in there. But when we eat, that muscle opens up. While we sleep and often after we eat, that muscle will periodically open up to let gas out, let fluid out, and let air out. And that's a normal thing. For example, if you have a can of soda, you're going to burp because you just introduced air into your stomach. Well, that muscle is going to open up. You're not going to make it open up. It'll do it for you. So it's a normal thing. And that air will come out. Happens a lot when you're sleeping. You just don't know it. Happens after you're eating. You may not sense a burp, but it's going to happen anyway. And that's physiologic GERD. That's normal. So the problem with GERD is, is when this flapper, if you will, malfunctions and stays open too much, allowing the stomach acid gas food to escape, and then it will irritate that thin lining, as you mentioned? Yeah. So we don't exactly know what one particular thing causes GERD, but we know there's a lot of contributing factors, and those contributing factors often disrupt the function of that flapper or that muscle. When it's disrupted, it causes too much GERD, excessive GERD, too many episodes, more than your physiologic normal should be. And so it's that repetitive acid escape into the food pipe that then causes repetitive damage, injury, inflammation, 
scarring, and even cancer. And in fact, one of the things GERD can eventually cause is cancer of the esophagus, which is a catastrophic and deadly diagnosis. So then what do we need to be looking for? What are the signs and symptoms? And it sounds like this can happen while you're awake and also while you're sleeping. So what are we looking for? Great question. So GERD, we often refer interchangeably to something called heartburn or indigestion. Well, heartburn and indigestion are actually symptoms, and those are the two most common symptoms of GERD, meaning it's a burning sensation in your chest. That's classic. And we all experience that from time to time, especially after dietary indiscretion. We eat at a restaurant, we go to a buffet, we go to a wedding, we just overdo it. And that's fine. And that happens. And that's quite expected. GERD can also present with a myriad of other what we call atypical symptoms, not your classic symptoms you would normally associate with GERD, but clearly GERD can cause. For example, vomiting, nausea, somebody who's got a chronic cough somebody who has like this lump sensation in their throat, somebody who's got hoarseness. For example, you eat and your spouse says, you know, your voice is very hoarse after you eat. Dental disease. Your dentist says, look, the enamel around your teeth is eroding. I don't know why. It could be a sign of GERD, even chest pain. And the list goes on and on and on. So GERD not only causes classic heartburn, but it can cause numerous, dozens of other sort of non-classical symptoms. And frequently in my own practice, I'm seeing patients who not only have the classic symptoms, but now have atypical or unusual symptoms. And they're actually referred to me by their dentist of all people, or their cardiologist, because they had chest pain, they saw their cardiologist, or they went to the emergency room. Well, they determined it wasn't the heart, wasn't the lung. And the next step is, could this be a symptom of GERD? And oftentimes it is. So there are classic symptoms, and as you mentioned, atypical symptoms. That's a wide range of symptoms. How do you drill down and finally diagnose that this is, in fact, GERD? Very, very good question. Often, we'll start with a very good history. So it's sitting down, it's listening to the patient, listening to what or how they describe their symptoms, the frequency of their symptoms, the timing of their symptoms, Are those symptoms associated with something else? Are they short of breath? Well, they're short of breath, probably not so much GERD. So you kind of try to find other associated symptoms. Did they try to address it? Did they take medication? Did they adjust their diet, et cetera? Did they get better? Did they not? So that's sort of the first step. The second thing is we use a combination of objective diagnostic tools. One of them is an endoscopy where we put the patient to sleep for a short bit and we look inside of their digestive tract with a camera. And then there's a whole host of other objective diagnostic tools that we use to determine whether someone has GERD or not. And probably one of the most useful diagnostic tools is treating them. So if you suspect GERD and you put them on appropriate treatment and they get better, that makes a very strong argument that that patient does in fact have GERD. All right, so let's talk about treatment. How is GERD generally treated? A lot of that depends on the severity, mild, moderate, severe, and frequently the severity is based on the number of events somebody is having per day or per week. And also it's based on the patient's age, their overall health, and other factors. But there's largely two components of treatment. One is lifestyle and diet, and the second component is medication. 
What I mean by lifestyle and diet, we know that there are certain risk factors that will make somebody susceptible to GERD, again, being that escape of acid from their stomach. We know that obesity or being overweight, particularly around the belly, as opposed to, say, your feet or your thighs or your hands, that's a big risk factor. So that's something that we can try to modify. Diet. So we know certain foods tend to affect the function of that flapper. We know that citrus-based products can affect it. Orange juice, for example. Spicy foods, caffeine, tobacco, alcohol, chocolate, peppermint, all of these foods can affect that muscle and actually make that muscle open up prematurely when it shouldn't, thereby causing GERD. So treatment would be modifying your diet, losing weight, particularly along the belly. Another thing that we often recommend from a lifestyle perspective is using gravity as your friend. So when you go to bed, try to raise or elevate the head of your bed up maybe 25 to 30 degrees. By doing so, gravity is going to come to your help and kind of keep things out of the food pipe because your food pipe will now be higher than your stomach. Another thing is going to bed hungry. Try not to eat anything three hours before bedtime. Go to bed on an empty stomach so that there's less acid and less debris and material in your stomach to reflux and regurgitate into your food pipe. So those are some of the things that we try to recommend. Some are going to be more long-term, like weight loss. Others, people can do right away. It doesn't cost much, and it's mostly dietary modification. Then there's medication. And medication, there's a lot of medication. Most people are familiar with these medications because they are taken by millions of millions of people just in this country alone, and they're readily available over the counter. But the treatment, the medications are primarily three types. The classic is your antacid. An example of an antacid is Tums. Then the second type of medication is a histamine blocker. People know that often as Pepsid. And the third type is known as the proton pump inhibitor. Those medications people know as Prilosec, Nexium, Omeprazole, etc. So there's three different types. The antacids, like the Tums, those are great for mild symptoms. I get heartburn once every two weeks or, look, I'm going to go to a buffet or, you know, I'm going to go out to a bar with my friends. I get heartburn after alcohol. Let me bring an antacid like a Tums along. And taking it once in a while is great. It works quick. The histamine blockers like Zantac, Zantac, as you know, is no longer available. Pepsid, for example, also can be used as needed. And then the Omeprazole, Prilosec, Nexium type of medications, those are generally used for people that get more moderate to severe symptoms, symptoms that are occurring on a regular basis, perhaps daily or multiple times per week. That's kind of how we categorize those three. So it sounds like there's a lot of different treatment methods from lifestyle and diet to medication. And then as we wrap up, Dr. Sean, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. What is most important to remember when it comes to GERD? I think that the biggest take-home message is when somebody develops GERD or GERD symptoms or symptoms that are attributed to GERD, the first thing is to bring it up to your medical doctor. And whether it's hoarseness or vomiting or heartburn, whatever it is, bring it to the attention of your medical doctor. And the reason is twofold. Number one, we have excellent ways to treat this. And absolutely, people can go into remission very quickly with simple dietary lifestyle modification 
and excellent medications we have both by prescription as well as over-the-counter. It's the early recognition that's key because if GER goes unchecked and somebody just sort of takes it for granted or treats themselves with over-the-counters for a prolonged period of time, it's those patients that we wish don't do that, that we could catch sooner. So not only can we put them into complete remission, give them an improved quality of life, but also to prevent dreaded complications of longstanding GERD, one of them being cancer of the esophagus. So it's a very treatable diagnosis, but as long as somebody gets medical attention sooner than later. It's okay to take these over-the-counter medications, you know, at Walmart, Target, elsewhere, as long as that's a bridge to getting to see your primary care doctor or your gastroenterologist. So it sounds like one of the main takeaways is if you are having any one of these symptoms, make sure you go get it checked out rather to be safe than sorry, since GERD can lead to some pretty serious health consequences. Is that right? That's absolutely right. It's not uncommon for me to see people who have GERD that all this time have been manifesting with non-classic symptoms, recurrent sinus problems, recurrent asthma, recurrent pneumonia, hypersalivation in their mouth. So if there's a suspicion and every other thing has been ruled out, bring it up because there's a good chance it may not be what you thought it could have been. And certainly GERD is always in the list of considerations. Yeah, great information to remember. Dr. Shaw, thank you so much. This has really been informative. We appreciate your time. Thanks again. My pleasure. That's Dr. Ashish Shah, and to learn more about WakeMed's gastroenterology services, please visit wakemed.org. And if you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels and check out the full podcast library for topics of interest to you. I'm Bill Klaproth with WakeMed Voices, brought to you by WakeMed Health and Hospitals in Raleigh, North Carolina. Thanks for listening.